welcome to Transforming Minds, Transforming Lives, a podcast series of RCCG Living Spring Pittsburgh. Stay tuned for our senior pastor, Boyga Esson. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. We share on God's kingdom principles. The Bible says in Luke 17 and verse 20, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Now we people say, yeah, it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The new KJV version, now when he was asked by the Pharisees where the kingdom of God will come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The word kingdom is taken from two words, which means king and domain. You have king and domain. And every king rules. Every king has a domain. They have a territory where they rule. There are kingdoms that we cannot see. You have the kingdom of Satan. You also have the kingdom of God. And you have the kingdom of this world. You have the kingdom of men. But the reality is that there is a superior kingdom to all of them. And that's the kingdom of God. And the Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. So this kingdom of God is not the same as the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is a place, is a location. There's a place called heaven and there's a place called hell. It's my prayer when you finish your sojourn here on earth, you will end up in heaven in Jesus' mighty name. So heaven is different from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is a place, is a location. But this kingdom that is within us is more of an influence. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, that unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. In other words, when Jesus Christ came, the kingdom of God came to the world. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, the kingdom of God was now born in the hearts of men and women who actually give their life to Jesus and give the Holy Spirit a chance. So when Jesus came from the kingdom of heaven, he brought the kingdom of God in person. But when he left, he said it was expedient for me to go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. So he left and the kingdom of God was reinstituted on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, came on earth. And that spirit, if you are born again, lives in you. And that spirit, if you are allowed to find the expression through you, then God will spread through you, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's no better glory. There's no better honor. There's no better influence than to be a carrier of God's glory. All the money of this world cannot bring that honor. All the glory of this world cannot give you that power. When you are actually carrying God's kingdom, and through you that kingdom is being spread all around you, that's the best place to be. Because once you start exerting that kind of power on earth, everyone will always be at your beck and call. So the word kingdom talks about power. It talks about influence. It talks about dominion. It talks about rulership. It talks about authority. It talks about power to effect changes. It talks about government. And it's my prayer, all those things will become manifest in your life and in my life as well, in Jesus' mighty name. 
a couple of things about this kingdom. This kingdom is eternal. It has no end. All the kingdoms of this world, they come and they go. And so upon in time, in the Bible days, Medo-Persia, the kingdom of Medes and Persia, they were the superpower. At some point in time, Babylon took over. Babylon through the Nebuchadnezzar was the superpower. At some point in time, Rome colonized the world. They had Israel under tribute, took over several parts of the world. At some point in time, Greece was the superpower. Not too long ago, Great Britain colonized literally everywhere. They spread their influence even to the uttermost parts of the world. All the kingdoms of this world, they are not everlasting. They are not eternal. There's only one kingdom that is eternal, and that's the kingdom of God. And there's no better place to be him. There's no better kingdom to be a citizen of than the kingdom of heaven. Because every other kingdom would lose value. They will fizzle out. But this kingdom, if you're a member of this kingdom, is an eternal honor. So this kingdom will eventually culminate into the 1,000-year reign of Jesus coming here on earth to rule. In other words, God is not losing territory. If anything, God is gaining ground. The kingdom of God is gaining ground. The gospel is gaining ground. The Holy Spirit is gaining ground because God has a plan. He has an agenda, and that agenda will culminate into the millennium reign. And this kingdom is also progressive. It's moving forward. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, Revelation 11, 15, the Bible says the angel of God sounded that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it shall reign forever and ever. So the kingdom of this world will eventually become that of Jesus Christ and it will reign over this earth forever and ever. So this kingdom is progressive. It's making progress every time. And every other kingdom is subservient. It's inferior to the kingdom of God. Every other kingdom bows to the kingdom of God. Governments come and they go, but this kingdom is forever settled. And it's a supernatural kingdom. It's superior to the natural. It's not a natural kingdom. It's not a kingdom they can see. But you can only see the influence. It's all over you. And that influence is actually within you. And just like I said, this kingdom cannot be overthrown. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, Hebrews 12, verse 28, it says we, say we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Say because we have received this kingdom, it says we serve God reverentially. We should serve God because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This kingdom cannot be dethroned. It cannot be overthrown. Because it's an everlasting kingdom. It's an all-powerful kingdom. And this kingdom is all about establishing the will of God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, that as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. It was the Lord's prayer. The disciples said, Master, please teach us to pray. And he taught them to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he went on to say, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, this kingdom is all about the will of God being superimposed upon the kingdoms of the earth. And this kingdom has principles it runs by. Very critical. It has laws that it runs by. Every nation worth its while has laws. They have constitution. That constitution is meant to be followed, meant to be adhered to. The constitution of the kingdom of God is the Holy Bible. Because the Bible says that God spoke to men, inspired them to pen the words of the Bible. The scriptures are not just mere words. The Bible is the breath of God. The Bible is God coming over holy men and compelling them, inspiring them to pen the words of the scriptures. So this kingdom is founded upon eternal principles. It works by principles. 
And when you walk the principles, you begin to manifest the kingdom. And we believe God to give us more insight into them so that we will have better understanding of these principles because we have to walk the kingdom of God. We have to showcase the kingdom of God. Your family must reflect the kingdom of God. Our communities, they must manifest the kingdom of God. Your workplace must, through you, bow to Jesus Christ. And that will be your testimony in Jesus' mighty name. The first thing this kingdom runs by is called the principle of love. What drives the economy of God is love. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. And because he's love, he produces love. Everything about God is love. Everything about God is sacrificial, is commitment. The Bible says that one way you know when somebody is loving is by your gift. Your giving at times is the measure of your love. When you love somebody, you give them your all. The Bible says, oh, God so loved that he gave. So the best thing God had was Jesus Christ. And they gave Jesus Christ. Because for sins to be forgiven, blood has to flow. So God looked at all he had. He could have sent an angel, but he sent his only begotten son to come and die. That was the best he had. So God became man to die for mankind. So the true test of love at times is in your giving. So God gave his best. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, even when we were yet sinners, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, that Christ died for the ungodly. Those who don't deserve God's love, God gives to them. It's amazing. It's not a normal, natural kind of love. The natural love says you love your friends and then you hate your enemies. But God so much love that he gave, that he loved his enemies. It was so bad that they grabbed Jesus Christ and they killed him. So God loves those who don't deserve it. And that's a God kind of love. And what drives this economy is love. Many people are not deserving of God's love, even people in this room. The Bible says, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That love is sacrificial. That love overlooks wrong. That love is long-suffering. That love is so patient. That love doesn't respond, doesn't react to insults. This love will take a sinner and make a saint out of him. Even before you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were already on his plates. Even before you were born in your mother's womb, God was thinking about you. Yes, he knows your mistakes, he knows your faults, he doesn't like what you do, but he loves you. And because he loves you, he's watching over you, he's thinking about you, he's planning your exit out of sin, he's planning your exit out of shame. I mean, he's thinking of you 24-7. And that's the love of God. The Bible says this love was given to us when the Holy Spirit came into our hearts. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. says this love was shed abroad in our hearts when we received the Holy Spirit. And that's big. Amen. The only way you walk and walk this kingdom is by manifesting the love of God. I remember when I was still with my immediate senior sister who was a Christian. I was everything bad. I mean, I was a drunkard. I was into drugs. I was just everything just bad. And you know, I would get back from my drinking spree late in the night and I would come home reeking of secrets, reeking of marijuana, reeking of alcohol. And my sister would be there at the door to welcome me, to receive me. She never said a nasty word to me. By the time I wake up in the morning, they would have taken my clothes and washed them. So I was just there, just drinking and not being useful to anybody. She never said a word. The husband and myself never said a word. So it got to a point, I told myself, the only way I can at least show some appreciation to this family 
is by going to church with them. That's the only way because I was so much of a nuisance. The only way I can just show them that, look, I still have some sense up here, is to follow them to church. She never said a nasty word for about one year, and I was reckless. That is the love of God. That love, it doesn't always beat you down. I mean, a sinner already knows he's a sinner. A sinner already knows if he doesn't repent, he's going to hell. A sinner already knows he's in trouble. A sinner already knows, look, I'm bound by sinful habits. A sinner many times is finding a way out. A sinner even though he's enjoying the pleasure, but it's for a season, I mean, after a drinking spree, you now have to now nurse hangover. Some people are carrying HIV today because they were reckless sexually. So a sinner knows he's in trouble. A sinner knows if he dies in his sin, oh, he's going to hell. He knows that. So God doesn't want to kill the sinner. He doesn't want to use a sledgehammer on his hands. So that's why God says, look, just come as you are. I will clean you up. I will show you my love. I love you. He got so serious that Paul had to pray for the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16. That God will let the church know the extent of his love for them. He said God would show them the vastness of the love. It was a prayer point that Paul raised. That Lord opened their eyes let them know the extent of your love. Because when you know the love of God for you, what he will do is that you will respond back in love. You will respond back in love. It's my prayer God will reveal to you the extent of his love for you in Jesus' mighty name. So everything works in the kingdom by love. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. Galatians 5 6 says that in Christ Jesus, circumcision on circumcision doesn't matter. So what matters is faith that works by love. So what works the kingdom is love. So for your faith to be powerful, to be effective, the motive has to be love. And if faith works by love, it also means that prayer works by love. It also means that even your service in God's house should be by love. So everything runs by love in the kingdom. And the best way you know this is that, look, everything happening in the kingdom of God, the exact opposite is happening in the kingdom of hell. And Satan's kingdom is ruled by fear and by hatred. If you're a Christian, Satan hates you. If you're not a Christian, he hates you. So what works the kingdom of Satan is hatred. So what works the kingdom we are talking about here is love. And that love is in your hearts. That's why you can love the unlovable. Some people are truly unlovable. But even though they are unlovable, love them anyway. It's a natural thing when you love your friends. But it now becomes supernatural when you can love your enemies. That's God's kind of way. And the Bible says, even if they are planning your downfall, and you love them back in return, if they fail to repent, that over time, God will judge them. It will heap coals on fire upon them. So in other words, God says, don't fight your battles. Just love. Show this love. And by showing the love, then I will take over from there. And love also helps. So love is not just in words. It's also in deeds. You see somebody, you can't pay hospital bills. And you have the power to help out. And you say, oh, you just pray. Go beyond just praying. And then act. Love is action. For God so loved that he gave. If you can just begin to love the unlovable. Please change your tactic. Change your strategy. That is God's way. That is how we manifest the kingdom. There is no kingdom without love. If you don't love, you cannot please God. Because this love doesn't keep malice. It doesn't hold grudges. Do you know how many times we sin every day? And then you still go back to God and God still forgives and still answers your prayers. It doesn't hold you in mind that, oh, this one I will show him, I will show her. It doesn't do that. 
It doesn't retaliate. This love doesn't retaliate. It's not an high for an high. No, that's not the love of God. The Bible says don't be overtaken by evil, but use good to overcome evil. He said don't be overtaken by evil because what drives the other kingdom is hatred. So what drives our kingdom is love. Is my prayer the ability to overlook wrong? God will give to you again in Jesus' mighty name. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 to 8. The Bible says there in First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4, say love suffers long and is kind. Say love does not envy, it does not parade itself, it's not puffed up. Verse 5, it says love, it does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, not easily provoked. It doesn't think evil, that is the love of God. Say so it doesn't rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. That's just the attributes of the love. This love bears all things. This love believes all things. This love hopes all things. It doesn't give up easily on anybody. This love keeps open. This love endures. Say this love will never fail. Say whether there are prophecies, whatever thing, they will vanish away. In our mind, I want to say in the verse 13 of that same scripture, say three things will abide. Three things will go beyond time into eternity. So those three things are faith, their hope, and their love. And even out of these three, the greatest is love. It's my prayer God will give you grace to begin to manifest the love of God in our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Another very key principle that governs this kingdom, very key, is righteousness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 89 and verse 14, Psalm 89 verse 14, says righteousness and justice that the foundation of God's throne. And you know very well that the most important part of any building is the foundation. So God's kingdom rests on the foundation of righteousness. The kingdom sits upon righteousness. And righteousness simply means being right and doing right. God is righteous. There's no darkness in God. Righteousness means being right. In other words, being in right standing with God. You are in sync with God. And then because you are in sync with God, you are now acting right. So if it's first and foremost being right and then doing right. Is that you make a tree good and its fruit good? Or you make a tree bad and its fruit bad? But every tree is known by its fruit. When Adam fell, we inherited Adamic nature, the sinful nature. So every man is not born again, carries the sinful nature. But when God came, he planted in us the seed of righteousness. The Bible says we are partakers of divine nature. We have God's divine nature in us. So the ability to act right once you are born again is already in you. First John chapter 3 verse 9. First John 3 verse 9 says, Whatever is born of God does not continue in sin. Because the seed of God abides in him and he cannot sin. So righteousness is what his kingdom sits on. And because of righteousness, somebody is exalted. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation. And sin is a reproach. It's a matter of time, sinful practices will result into shame. It's a matter of time, sinful practices will result into reproach. And the wages of sin eventually is death. Separation from God. So righteousness is possible because we have the seed of God in us. So you have to act like God. Act in anything different is acting the bastard. Because as you are growing up, you are becoming more like the master, more like your father. If you can just take some time daily to read the scriptures, 
and you take them in, take some more time to pray to God, you just have a relationship. Over time, you begin to amaze yourself at the changes that will be occurring in your life. The change is not automatic. Somebody has to grow. Somebody has to take responsibility. Somebody has to do something to grow. You are reflecting God because the seed of God is in you. But please, let the seed, let it grow. Righteousness is by nature. We have God's nature. It's also by nurture. In other words, you have the nature of God, but now it's not right to now nurture. How do you nurture something? You cultivate. How do you cultivate? It's bringing something from seed level to fruit level. That's why we have the fruit of the Spirit. So God has planted his word in our hearts. And as we allow that word to fester, to germinate, we now have the fruit automatically manifesting. That's why we have the fruit of the Spirit. And the first fruit is love. That confirms again that everything is driven by love. So righteousness is our portion. You cannot say you're a Christian and you're comfortable in sin. Something is wrong. Yes, you may still have struggles because as long as we're in the flesh, we have struggles. But even with your struggles, as you begin to grow, it gets better. Desire follows attention. Whatever thing you attend to, over time you begin to desire it. It's not the other way around. People think, well, if I attend to something, then I desire it. No. What you focus on, that's what you become. What you focus on magnifies in your life. So if you have no desire for God, then begin to pursue God. Begin to ask him to help you. I would rather let Jesus grow in me and make heaven than allow this world to grow in me. God wants you to manifest the kingdom. He's waiting on you. He's trusting that this my son will grow up, this my daughter will grow up and begin to manifest the kingdom. The only reason why you are here, your assignment, our assignment is to manifest the kingdom. The Bible says, as it is in heaven, so shall it be on earth. God was praying that you will manifest heaven. I will manifest heaven. The assignment that God has placed on you is to manifest the kingdom. And you manifest it in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening. And make sure you subscribe for more great podcasts.